Welcome to this week's edition of A Canadian Schoolie Podcast. This week I spoke with Chris, who is from the state of Georgia in the United States. Chris is the owner of Blackstone Builders, and I believe he has come up with a revolutionary design that is perfectly suited for the Canadian winter. Chris suggests Schoolie and Tiny House Builders always do extensive research and do not be afraid to reach out and ask for help. From detailed finish work to the dream of an off-road super schoolie, Chris is reshaping the design of schoolies. Grab a warm beverage, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's edition of A Canadian Schoolie Podcast. All right, folks, welcome to another edition of A Canadian Schoolie Podcast. Usually I'm getting stories from across the country, but now we're getting one from the south. Chris here, and he's with Blackstone Builders, and he's going to tell us a little bit about himself. So, Chris, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, my name is Chris Calhoun. I'm the uh, owner of Blackstone Builders, and uh, we actually are close to Florida, but we're actually in South Georgia, about 100 miles from the Florida line, so uh, not too far from Florida. And I um, have been in the building business um, doing residential um, construction, building homes and remodeling for about 30 years and got into tiny homes, schoolies, um, Airstream campers and things of that nature about uh, about five years ago. And uh, I've kind of touched into a lot of those things and, and really have a, a passion for uh, all types of tiny living structures. But uh, right now, schoolies are kind of the heart of our business right now. And in your area around South Georgia, are you seeing many schoolies being built? I don't see a lot um, in in my uh, specific area. I mean, I can't I can't say I could just drive somewhere and, and know that somebody's building one. But um, I get a lot of phone calls, a lot of uh, social media messaging that the people that are probably within a hundred to two hundred miles of me that are that are asking questions. You know, how how did you do this? How did you do that? Can you help me? Those kind of things. Um, so it's definitely a growing community. Um, I think all over the country, um, it seems as though the East Coast and, and at least in the Southeast, um, we're sometimes the last um, to catch on to a trend. Um, but it's definitely over the last couple of years really caught on. And some some different festivals I've been to, uh, a lot of people in Florida um are into um, schoolie living and, and building their own schoolies. And it's really catching on in Georgia as well. And how many uh, tiny homes or schoolies have you constructed over the years? I've done about three tiny homes. I'm on my second uh, schoolie right now. I've done some uh, vintage Airstream restorations. Um, so we are kind of, as far as a uh, quantity, um, we've not done a lot of quantity of work. We're a small uh, outfit. It's just myself and, and, and one other uh, employee. So we're, you know, very hands-on, uh, small crew, uh, very customized, um, one-off type um, buildings. Um, no, no two are ever alike. And that's what we like. And I think that's what we really like about the, the tiny living um, industry is um, it allows you to be so creative and, and do things differently rather than you know, the, the old uh, cookie cutter um, subdivision where every house looks just alike. It's just painted a different color. So now, Chris, I know when I was doing a lot of my research, a lot of the learning came out of the United States and especially out of the southern part of the states. Um, are there people that have land that are uh, like living communally with tiny homes or schoolies uh, that you know of? 
Yes, uh, I don't know. I don't know them personally, but I know that there are several uh, communities within a couple hours drive of where I am um, that are tiny home communities. Some are um, have been sponsored by local municipalities like veteran um, housing for veterans, those kind of things. Um, I know of a couple in Florida that are tiny homes and they're like beach rentals, those kind of they're not full time living, but they're a vacation rental. Um, there's a couple of little schooly communities, um, in Georgia. One is just South of Atlanta and one is in South Georgia, probably about an hour's drive from me that, uh, people will go take their schoolie there, rent a space, stay there and, and perform work on their schoolie while they're there. So, uh, they're all kind of uh, helping each other, you know, sharing ideas and those kind of things. Um, so it's, it's kind of, those kind of things are kind of growing in popularity as well. Just little, uh, little small communities um, where people are gathering together and sharing ideas and, and actually working together, helping each other, um, you know, perform work on their schoolies. Yeah. The, the climate in the Southern part of the States is definitely more conducive to uh, living in a tiny home or a schoolie than in Northern Canada. There's a whole different gamut of things that you need to include into your space. And there are people that are living here in Canada in their schoolies and, tiny houses but it's a whole other um, ball game when you're building yeah i can imagine that the very first uh tiny house that i built i sold to a young couple who were working on their graduate degree <clears throat> at the university of wyoming and they pulled it there they hired someone to pull it there from south georgia to wyoming um about the uh, end of may and they had to stop about 50 miles before they got to um, their destination because they got snowed in in May. They were snowed in in, in, uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Um, so they lived in that for a couple of years while they finished their degrees. And, of course, when we built it, we had no idea that the house would be in that type of climate. But uh, they were very comfortable and everything worked very well for them. Wow. So the, the builds that you're creating, what is kind of the, the price range that people would be looking at to purchase? Well, the very first tiny house that we built, we sold for like $32,000. Now that sounds like, wow, that's really cheap. Um, but I can remember when I first got into tiny homes uh, about five years ago, it seems as though the, the, the main uh, reason people were getting the tiny homes was the simplicity um, and, and minimalist living. And of course, over the years, that's beginning to change a little bit. And you see a lot of, uh, uh, luxury tiny homes as well. I mean, some, you know, exceeding a hundred thousand dollars a piece. Um, so ours, it kind of, it really depends on the client, uh, what they want. Um, most that come to us are usually in the 40 to $45,000 budget range and kind of the same with the schoolies. Um, I have, uh, some clients that I'm working with right now. Uh, their budget was, um, you know, 50,000, including the cost of the, the schoolie itself. Um, and then I have a, another client that we're just kind of in the queue for the next one that we're going to build. Uh, and they're kind of in that same price range. So that, that seems to be at least in, um, in our area, it's somewhere between, you know, 45 and 55 is the, is the budget range for um, a finished school. If you're hiring someone to do it for you. And for you, is it difficult to purchase buses to rebuild or do you have a market there that you can tap into um, and select from? We have a pretty good uh, selection and there's, I know of three or four places that I can drive to within an hour of me and look at, you know, 10 buses on a lot somewhere. 
Um, and of course, there are all different conditions. Um, this last, or, or the, 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 the school that we're working on currently, uh, our client was um, in Miami, Florida, and knew nothing about schoolies, nothing about how to buy one. So they hired us to, to locate one for them. And within two days, I located one in my hometown um, owned by a local church. It was a church bus, single owner, less than 30,000 miles. So it just kind of fell in our lap. Um, you know, it was two miles from my shop. So you don't get that lucky very often. Um, but we've been, we've been pretty fortunate um, that uh, there's quite a selection you know, within a two hour drive, we can find one within a couple of days, usually. That's wonderful. And one of the problems we have in Canada is the, the ice on the roads right. in the winter and the municipalities using salt on the road. So a lot of buses, they're rotten out and rusted. Do you see that in a lot of the buses that you're purchasing or is it not used? On the uh, road we salt? don't, we don't usually see um, rust on the undercarriage, you know, from, from road, road salt and those kind of things. Um, the older buses sometimes have some rust spots on the roof areas where, um, you know, just no maintenance was done. Um, but most of the buses in, in Georgia, most of the school systems do not keep them past uh, somewhere between 150 and 200,000 miles is usually when they get rid of them, when they'll trade them in or, or, or auction them off and, and, get, and get new buses. Uh, actually, my dad used to be um, the, the supervisor for a large school system in South Georgia years ago before I retired. He was in charge of all the, the buses and uh, they, were, they were federal programs that um, gave them incentives to get new buses and, and get rid of the old ones. So um, that, that kept them rotating the older ones out and new ones in. Um, so most of the ones we see down here are, are usually in pretty good shape, both mechanically and physically, because they've been maintained well, you know, by the school systems. Um, and they're, you know, 10 to 15 years old is usually the range that we find pretty, pretty, you know, most commonly. Yeah, I've interviewed a few people that they've gone down to pick up MCI buses. Oh, okay. Uh, the big coach buses, and they buy them in the southern part of the states for that reason and take them back to Canada because of the high quality of them. Yeah, the climate down here is certainly in our favor for buses, you know, being in, in pretty good condition because, um, it's, you know, there's just there's just no road salt and there's, there's rarely ever any ice. Um, so as long as the school systems do a pretty good job of maintenance, then uh, the buses themselves, I mean, they're built like tanks anyway. So they're, uh, they're used in pretty good shape. So now, Chris, I reached out to you about two weeks ago and we were planning a uh, podcast recording. It was looking at July right. and then I had to change some things around and I'm lucky to get you here today. Um, and the reason for that is because your schoolie specifically and tiny house that I saw online on Instagram blew my mind. It was incredible. I've never seen it before. Um, and it was so unique. The design that you created, um, did you see other tiny houses built on schoolie chastities before, or was that kind of your original idea? It, it was kind of a combination of both, um, you know, when the first, I, I guess everybody, when they first get the idea to do a schoolie or a tiny house, they're going to do it themselves. Of course, you get on YouTube and you start looking at videos and seeing what other people are doing. And I came across one, uh, one gentleman who had somewhat built a house out of a schoolie and, and had a, a more, um, a, a roof structure that looked like a regular house versus a schoolie. 
um, but it was not drivable, uh, if, if, if I remember correctly, or at least he didn't drive it very often. It was usually just parked in one spot. So, you know, he did things a little bit differently. Um, the, the, the way ours came about, um, honestly, is the, the bus that we bought, a 1994 uh, Thomas, uh, Thomas School Bus, international engine, um, and had a fairly low ceiling. Um, lower than some of the newer models. So as I, first thing I did, of course, took all the seats out and basically just kind of let it sit there for several months, just trying to get a vision before, for what we wanted to do because it was not far a client. It was, you know, we were, we had a blank slate to do whatever we wanted. Um, so I started really researching the, the roof raise um, opportunities and, and ways to do that. Um, and I saw that was going to be an incredible amount of metal work and, and welding. And that's not really my forte. I'm, I'm more of a, a finished carpenter and, um, and, 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 you know, my experience has been in building houses. So woodworking, uh, was going to be a lot easier for us to do and, 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 you know, produce better quality work. So we came up with the idea of let's just cut most of the roof structure away from the bus and build a tiny house structure, uh, on the bus, the bus being our platform, rather than building a tiny house on a trailer, a tiny house on wheels, we still had a tiny house on wheels. It's just on a different set of wheels. Uh, so that's just kind of how it started. And then it just kind of blossomed from there. And, you know, we, we would look at other things and it was just kind of uh, um, fly by the seat of your pants, so to speak. And if we had an idea, we'd try it. And if it worked great, if it didn't, then we would try something else. And I'll, uh, I'll put some photos up as well so folks to see because a lot of schoolie owners, they will think of a typical bus, but I love when I saw the video on YouTube and they, you were talking about uh, somebody describing it as the school bus driving through a house right. <laughs> and it being part of it. it it's, it's true. And I think you've actually revolutionized the schoolie design and build, especially in the Canadian climate because uh, we're always trying, and I guess the northern part of the states, we're always trying to insulate and get that highest R value and take out the windows, and it's a really mishmash of work. But what you've created is something that is so unique, it's, it's very cool. And that's why I reached out to you, because there's other people that I've interviewed that, and these could be ideas that you could take, Chris, to, to build. So I've seen people in Spain, they have a youth hostel built out of their mm -hmm. schoolie. Uh, a restaurant and a cafe and a gallery in Australia, a digital workspace for digital natives in uh, England, in British Columbia in Canada, there's somebody who has two dental clinics built out of buses, somebody in Montreal that has a sound studio uh, and a sound stage on the top of their bus. And then you're coming in with that category with a truly tiny house built on the chastity of a school bus. And it's beautiful to see. But it sounds like there's really no limit to what you can do with a school bus. <laughs> and that's what I'm trying to do is collect these stories uh, across Canada, but also around the world to show people that, you know, there are people doing really interesting things and to share these ideas and, and share the love. It's, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we, when we built that, um, we built it you know just like a house. So it was instantly a two by four wall. So the, the insulation, the windows, all those things that, you know, would appeal to someone in a, in a cooler climate um, for sure. And of course, in, in the South, we, you know, we have a, a lot of hundred degree days and we run our air conditioners nine months out of the year. So the insulation from the other side is also important for us to keep things cool. 
um, the, uh, you know, we did find a couple of, uh, a, a limiting things that, um, I'd, I'd, I'd want people to, um, really think through, um, the height, of course, you know, there's, there's limits. Uh, I don't know what the, uh, you know, in, in the, in the States, the department of transportation gives us limits to how high something can be built, um, and those kind of things. Um, so you have to be careful of that. Um, if you're going to drive your school bus full time, when we designed ours, uh, our idea was not necessarily that it would be driven, uh, you know, around the country, but more um, drive it somewhere and leave it for a week or a month um, to be used much like people use a tiny house. They would, you know, follow the climate and stay somewhere for a few months at a time rather than moving from place to place day by day, because it really was not designed for um, a road vehicle as much as uh, a vehicle to live in, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's excellent. So, Chris, uh, so you've built this. You've had uh, lots of experience with carpentry and finished work. Um, you've also had some experience with camping and traveling. Could you tell the audience, whether it's either with the bus and the build or with your own personal life, what's an adventure that you've had uh, in your experience? Um, I, I like to travel. Uh, I don't get to travel as much as I, I, I want to. Um, probably the, the greatest adventures I've had uh, most recently didn't actually occur um, with me in a, in a schoolie, um, but I, I started going to uh, El Salvador on mission trips about 10 years ago. Um, and it's really interesting. There are a lot of American school buses in El Salvador and they use them for their public uh, transportation. And you should see some of the ways that they don't, they don't put them, make them into uh, schoolies to live in. But man, they really customize them, and they're really, really unique in some of the ways they use them. Um, so we love we love going into El Salvador and and, and meeting people there. And um, uh, what we go there to uh, do work in coffee growing regions of the, the country there. Um, and actually, the the schoolie, the first schoolie that I bought before we turned it into a tiny house, we actually were going to turn it into we wanted to make it a mobile coffee house i think that was one of the things you mentioned in your list earlier um was you know people turning a school into a restaurant so we were kind of thinking of turning it into uh, almost like a food truck um and it'd be you could go inside the school bus and sit down and and, and have coffee and it just turned out to be there were so many regulations that we were going to have to follow uh locally that it just wasn't financially feasible and so we you know, set that idea aside for another time and decided to do the, the tiny house. So it, it's, it's interesting how all things uh, are all connected together through um, everywhere I go. Uh, I've seen, you know, you start noticing what people are doing with school buses and the different uses they're, they're making for them. So um, we, we hope that when all this, this issues with the virus is over, we're going to be able to get back to uh, El Salvador again pretty soon. Because um, it's always interesting to see what those guys are doing with their their buses down there. They they typically get buses from North Carolina. For some reason, everyone I see down there, it says you know North Carolina Public Schools on the side of it until they paint it uh, some really wild colors. <laughs> so what are what's one uh, conversion that you would have seen in El Salvador? Well, usually what they do, this, this one particular uh, bus company that we, we use exclusively for our transportation because uh, the missionary there knows that these people and, and we feel safe with them. Um, they typically take the uh, original motors and transmissions out of them and put a tractor trailer 
um, so a semi-truck motor and transmission. Um, so really boost the horsepower. I mean, those things will fly. Uh, it's amazing how much power they put in those buses. And then they, they paint them all kind of crazy colors and chrome rims and uh, just really decked out. Um, you know, like I said, they're not living in them, um, but they're like super proud of them. And uh, they're, they're just a, um, almost like a hot rod made out of a school bus is kind of what I would call it. If you could imagine uh, somebody turning a hot a school bus into a hot rod, that's kind of what it's like. That's incredible. I would love to see. Do you have any contacts or anything that know anybody that has uh, done this? Well, I mean, I know some guys in El Salvador that have done it. And I think actually uh, on my Facebook page uh, or my Instagram, I think on my Instagram account, I think there might be a couple of pictures of some buses from El Salvador because I always take pictures of bus, unique buses that I see. Uh, so that that might be a place where you could see a few of them. Um, but um, I don't know of anybody in, in the States that's doing anything like that. That's interesting. They, when I, cool. I show them so, pictures when I'm down there, I've shown them pictures of my schooling and they're all like, drive it down here, drive it down here. We want to see it. But, man, that's a long way to drive a schoolie from Georgia to El Salvador. It sure is. I guess you could put it on a boat, a cargo ship and ship it across. Yeah, that maybe. might be the way to do it. <clears throat> Or maybe the we roads turn in Mexico into a boat. That might be the next thing to do. There you go. Hey, get one of those military. Uh, um, oh, what are they called? Um, yeah, they use them in Nova Scotia here, just north of Maine. They use them for um, tours in the harbor, and then they'll come out and they'll go on the land. Amphibious okay. yeah. vehicles. They use. they're really cool. Yeah. So. Over the years, you got that experience and you got that traveling. What happened that would be considered a mishap for you? Uh, the only mishap I've had when, when the, the first school that we did, um, mechanically, it seemed to be pretty good. And uh, I, I'd gone to a tiny house and schoolie festival up in North Georgia. And uh, on the way home, I was trying to outrun a storm. A storm, big storm was coming in. So we're trying to outrun it and get out of there and get home. And on the way, I had a breakdown. Uh, didn't really know what was going on, but I just saw I saw a lot of smoke treading behind me. And so I pulled over on the side of the interstate and couldn't really find anything wrong until um, I opened the hood and your smoke's boiling out and the, the engine's just covered in oil. There's so much oil, I can't find out where it's coming from. So I add some more oil to the engine. It's like, let me get down the road to uh, find an exit where there's at least a, uh, a filling station or, you know, some place of business. And I made it about two more miles and just got lucky enough to, to pull off uh, the interstate. And there was a truck stop there. Um, and of course, with the schoolie I was driving, you know, that tiny house on the back of it, it's, it's pretty unique. And so a lot of people are coming up and wanting to look at it. And I said, well, you'll have plenty of time to look at it because it's going to be sitting here a while. Uh, but lucky enough, one of the guys that came up, he and his wife came up to look at it, uh, had a friend that lives down the street from there who was a diesel mechanic. And he came over that afternoon and took a look at it and um, and he fixed it right in the parking lot. Um, so had it not been a unique looking vehicle, I don't know that I would have been that lucky to find a mechanic that quickly because um, I, mean, I, I was I was stranded, really. Um, there was no way to and it was on a Sunday afternoon, so there was no way to to. Um, get anybody to to even tow it i mean so i was kind of stuck but uh, other than that really been fortunate with uh, all of our tiny house and, and 
uh, schoolies and those kind of things. Not really had any anything worse than that happen. And they're big vehicles, so when uh, something goes wrong with the engine or the transmission, and if you don't have the experience in it, you got to pay somebody to get it fixed and drag it somewhere to get fixed. So it can be tricky on yeah, the. Uh, you don't just go part. to the local auto parts store and get your parts either. <laughs> No, that is for sure. So now you're into this. You've built two schoolies and three tiny houses. In regards to the schoolies, when you build your next one, what's something that you would consider in doing different? Um, I, the, the next schoolie I want to do for myself, um, I've kind of already got that, sort of planning that out in my mind. It's almost like a, uh, I have a picture of kind of a maybe urban assault vehicle, um, um, overlander type thing, you know, something that you can, I really love to see a schoolie with like mud grip tires. Um, if you can picture that, you know, something that would be an off-road type schoolie. I know I can't probably can't do one four wheel drive, uh, but one that you could take off pavement, you know, um, out into the desert, somewhere like that. That's kind of what I have in my mind for, uh, one I'd want to do for myself. You just have to uh, take the motor out and put a semi-motor and transmission in it and put some big mud tires yeah, on go. it and you're set. Maybe you'll come up here and you'll experience some deep snow in the winter. You'll go out into the forest. Yeah, that's, a, that's an idea. <clears throat> yeah. And how long does it usually take you, Chris, to, to do a build? Uh, you know, depending on, the, of course, the complexity and what the, what the, um, the client wants. Um, if we work on one full time, uh, we can do one. Um, if, if it's brought in and it has no, de no demolition done, it's, you know, got the seats and everything in it. Um, we can do one in about four months, three to four months, you know, like I say, depending on if, if, if there's not a roof raise involved. Um, the one that we're working on currently, we've been on it for about uh, three months. We probably have about another three, three and a half weeks to go. Um, of course, with, with the, the COVID, um, we're, we're having some difficulty getting some of the, the parts and things that we need, just, just delays in shipping. So that kind of delays some things, but um, it's not been too bad. So, you know, around, around four months is kind of the average, I guess. Uh, what would you give for a piece of advice for that? Uh, the, the best thing I can tell people is to do your research um, and don't be afraid to ask questions because everybody I have met in the schoolie community, tiny house community are all so friendly and so eager to help one another. Um, there's no, there's no dumb question to ask, but, but do your research, do your research. Don't get in too big of a hurry. Uh, I've seen people that, um, that just, they kind of get in over their head because they, they jump too fast. Um, they get excited and they end up either paying too much for something that they could have gotten, uh, for less money or they, they bite off more than they can chew and they're not quite ready yet. Um, and then they might do something, um, construction wise that in, in their schoolie or their tiny house that really may be unsafe um, because they kind of got in a little bit over their head. So I'd say, you know, take your time, do your research and don't be afraid to, to ask questions, hire somebody just for some areas where you're not that experienced or you're not um, that confident in your own skills. So, you know, um, don't, like I say, don't be afraid to reach out to others for help because there, there's plenty of help out there and people are, are eager to help. I, I answer questions for people all the time that, that um, text me or call me or message me on social media and just ask questions about certain things. I'm always uh, 
willing to help people who are just wanting to learn and, and do things on their own. I think that's the great thing about this community. So on that piece, Chris, where can people uh, go to get in contact? Our Instagram account, um, Blackstone Builders, is is probably the, the quickest way to see some of the things we've done and also to, to message us. Um, we have a Facebook page. It's Blackstone Builders, and uh, you know you can you can go there as well. We do have a website that's just um, BlackstoneBuilders.org. Um, um, we uh, it's not a, a very fancy website. It's just you know basic information, but our email address is on there as well, so you can reach out to us through email. Um, so the, the major social media outlets, you know, you're you're welcome to. Um, to message me through those, um, to ask questions, uh, that's the, or, or email, that's the easiest way to, to get to us. And, um, uh, so that we can respond back to you. So what do you think, Chris, three to five years down the road, where, uh, where's this going to be? Where's Blackstone builders? Where's the tiny house schoolie piece? I for think you? we'll, uh, I think we'll still be doing, um, schoolies. Uh, at least I hope we will. Um, uh, I think that, you know, this industry seems to be, um, growing and, and changing very quickly um you know con container homes is another thing that's kind of interesting people are doing a lot of container homes around here the only thing that's um about those that um intrigues me is you know you, you can't move them um very easily once you have them there so i'm not really sure um if that's if that's something i really want to get into i really like the mobility of the tiny house on wheels and um school buses um, I also like uh, vintage campers, particularly Airstreams, and uh, we've, we we have one of those that I'm going to do for myself um, when I when I get time to get to it. We have a '73 uh, model that we kind of pulled out of the woods that we're going to restore pretty quickly. So I think in three to five years we'll still be doing the same things we're doing now. Hopefully we'll find some other creative things to do that maybe nobody's done before. Uh, that's what, that's what, um, kind of drives us is trying new things. Um, you know, a, a vision hits us and it's like, you know what, let's just try it. There's no way to know until we try it. Like where did the original inspiration for you come from to, you know, rather than doing traditional building, you know, on a, on a house site, where did that inspiration come from you? Where did that light go on for time? I guess, houses uh, probably six or seven years ago, um, I was on vacation um, uh, in, in Florida on the Gulf and happened across this um, um, RV campground and they had tiny houses that you could rent. Um, they were they were stationary, but you could rent and stay there. And one was open. It was like a model. You could go in and tour it. So I went in there and I was just blown away by the uh, creativity that whoever built it had used. And I, I just never seen anything like that where you could have everything you needed to live uh in a home in such a small space and done in such a unique way and and, and the quality of the details is what really got my attention and that's one of the things that we really like is we like to do very detailed work we think that um really is what um makes projects memorable is is the finer details um but that's really when the light came on when i saw that first tiny house i knew right then i'm gonna have to do this and it was probably about two years later when i finally uh I mean, back then you couldn't even find anybody that made trailers. You know, I had to find somebody who would make a trailer for me to build my first tiny house on. Uh, and when I found that person, um, then it kind of went from there. And then we just, you know, just started trying to be creative on um, tiny houses and then schoolies and, and campers. And, you know, 
we, we still do some residential construction, some remodels um, kind of in between schooly jobs, but now it looks like schoolies are beginning to take over our schedule. So we're kind of working our way out of residential construction, it looks like, uh, as, the, as the, the schoolie industry keeps growing. I tell you, the, the one that we're talking about, that uh, schoolie, with the Cape Cod shingles on the outside and the detail on the inside, you. your work is our, beautiful. Our idea was when somebody walks into that uh, schoolie, uh, we did not want them to, you know, we wanted people to say, wow, this is a, this is a school bus? It looks like a house. And that's kind of what our idea was, was to make it feel like a house when you walked inside, but look like a school bus when you're on the outside. That's a beautiful piece of work. It's a piece of artwork. So, Chris, you are on social media uh, and you learn online from other people as well. For those folks that are out there, who would you recommend maybe two or three people uh, on social media that you would recommend for others to follow? Oh, I'd have to think. Uh, I don't I don't look at social media a lot myself. I'm on there for, for business purposes, so to speak. Um, I do like, I, I like the... Um, the Instagram accounts that gather um, pictures from a, a lot of other, you know, it's not just one particular uh, um, bus or tiny house. There's um, Bus Life Studios I like, and there's the National School Association I like. Um, there's United Tiny House um, that is primarily tiny houses, but they gather pictures from all over and, uh, and, and republish them. And I really like to look at those because I get to see a, a larger, um, array of, of ideas than by focusing, than just by focusing on one particular account. And there's so many out there, um, that, um, you know, you, I think you can learn from, from any of them that you look at, you can get, you can gain information and get ideas from them. But I really like those that, um, um, that gather photos from from all around very interesting so chris here's your uh, opportunity for words of wisdom to not only the american schoolie and tiny house nations but the canadian and around the world what's your uh, two cents of wisdom that you would offer uh, i would just say don't words? be afraid to try something new try something that you've never done or try something that maybe you've never seen before um, cause that's the best way to learn. I mean, I'm, I'm completely self-taught, um, home builder, carpenter, um, because I was not afraid to try something new. Uh, even if somebody says, well, that's the way we've done it for 50 years. Like, well, we're going to do it different this time. Uh, so don't be afraid to try new things because that's where we learn. And that's where we, um, we might accidentally, um, come across something really unique and different uh, by trying something new. So that, that'd be my word of wisdom is just uh, always be, always try to tr looking to try something new. That's excellent. Well, listen, Chris, if you're ever up this way into Canada, you've got a place to stay awesome. and you're Thank more you. than welcome to visit. And uh, we get down to the States once this uh, whole COVID-19 piece is all over and, and uh, things change. Hopefully, yeah, we'll uh, get down to see you guys. Anytime. I greatly appreciate it, buddy. Well, Chris, enjoy the rest of your evening. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, I'm going outside <laughs> right. to play well, in the it's snow. It's a little cold here for us. It's uh, it's in the 40s, so for us, that's really cold. But I'm sure that's probably short sleeve weather for you guys. 
Well, I tell you, today it's, uh, it's 32 Fahrenheit, so it's about zero Celsius. And for us, it should be about minus 30 uh, degrees Celsius now, <laughs> so like minus 15 to minus 20 Fahrenheit. So it's, it's changing, man. We're, we're just in a light sweater, and it's gorgeous out. It's like a Norwegian <laughs> enjoy spring. Your, enjoy your snow day then. All right. All right. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Chris. Thank you for carving out some time in your day to listen to this week's edition of A Canadian Schoolie podcast. You can listen to more of our podcasts through Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or from wherever you get your podcasts. Feel free to reach out to us through our website, acanadianschoolie.ca, or follow us on Instagram or YouTube under A Canadian Schoolie. Until next time, stay safe and be kind to one another.